You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. Don't struggle to align your organization's cybersecurity with business risk. Get the only solution that goes beyond reacting to threats with vulnerability and risk monitoring. You need the next evolution of MDR, and only Critical Start delivers it. Critical Start doesn't just monitor and respond to threats. They put you in control by detecting suspicious activities, quickly responding to contained threats, and identifying your most critical assets and protecting them against vulnerabilities and exposures. With continuous visibility, expert guidance, and measurable risk reduction, Critical Start has redefined what it means to manage cyber risk. Demonstrate provable security maturity to your leadership while positioning your program to achieve the greatest risk reduction per dollar spent. Stop fearing risk and start managing it with Critical Start. Visit criticalstart.com and request a demo today. That's criticalstart.com. Iron Group is sent to use hacking team source code to build a backdoor. Operation Prowley, both cryptojacks and sells traffic. Fancy Bear may be getting noisier. VPN Filter has a more extensive set of victim devices than previously believed. ZTE pays a billion-dollar fine. Cloud pets are oversharing via an unsecured server. And the U.S. Senate wants answers from both Facebook and Google about their user data sharing with Chinese companies. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Thursday, June 7, 2018. Intizer researchers say they've found a backdoor in the wild that's based on hacking team tools. The security firm says that the Iron Group, which they suspect of being a Chinese criminal gang, is behind the backdoor. Iron Group's code is based on hacking team's leaked RCS source code. Most of the victims, as well as the perpetrators, appear to be in China. Gardecore Labs describes Operation Prowley, a campaign that manipulates traffic and mines cryptocurrencies. There are roughly 40,000 infected machines in a wide range of organizations and sectors. Gardecore regards Prowley as a straight-up criminal caper, not something mounted by a nation-state. They get paid in two ways. First, through cryptojacking, installing a cryptocurrency miner in victim machines, And second, they also earn some change through traffic monetization fraud, in which the Prowley operators sell traffic for routing to various dodgy domains, many of which hawk hemi-semi-demi-bogus goods or services, or simply distribute malware. Gardecore has seen two principal attack vectors, a worm that propagates through machines running SSH, and Joomla servers, whose K2 extension renders them vulnerable to a file download bug. To defend yourself, Gardecore recommends patching, hardening, and if you are hit, changing credentials as part of the mop-up. Palo Alto's Unit 42 thinks the Sophocy Group is quietly changing its tactics. Sophocy, generally regarded as belonging to Russia's GRU, also known as Fancy Bear, Pondstorm, Sednit, or Tsar Team, had tended to prospect a small number of selected individuals within a targeted organization. They also tended to use the same exploits and malware against those individuals. For all of Fancy Bear's reputation for being noisy, this is a relatively unobtrusive approach. 
But now, Unit 42 sees the group adopting parallel attacks, a shotgun approach to many more individuals. They're also using a more diversified set of exploits and malware, presumably to achieve higher infection rates. All in all, the new approach reminds observers more of a criminal gang's work than a nation-state's intelligence service, but don't be deceived. This is a change in style, not management. Duo Security recently published the results from their third annual Trusted Access Report, comprising data from nearly half a billion authentications per month and almost 11 million devices. Kyle Lady and Alabade Aniche both worked on the report, and they join us to share the results. We hear first from Alabade. One of the major things of this report, our major points um, of research, was trying to look into, like, what are some of the behaviors of users? Like, can we, we had a hypothesis of people are working more remotely, people are more mobile, um, we wanted to see if that uh, would bear out in our data. And we did find that our, our hypothesis was validated and that people are authenticating from more unique external networks. Um, so we saw a big increase, especially in the enterprise space, about 24% of people in terms of looking at the ratio of unique external networks um, that were accessed to users for each one of our customers in each of the market segments. So that was particularly uh, interesting because it kind of goes to the point of like, let's allow people to work where they work best, whether that's a coffee shop, whether that's their home or some other area. Um, of course, that does present some different challenges for an IT admin, but that was one of their bigger points. The other thing was, I guess the next point was at the Windows 10 adoption. Um, we saw a huge increase in Windows 10 adoption going from 2017 to 2018. Almost hitting that 50% uh, mark, but not quite yet. And last, we saw that phishing was still as effective from uh, the data that we gathered from our from the Duo Insight uh, phishing simulation tool. Now, do you find that uh, folks out there have common misconceptions when it comes to authentication? A lot of times people don't see the value in additional security measures, and a lot of that is a communication question. A lot of users don't understand the threats that are out there. That said, they shouldn't have to have a comprehensive understanding. Yeah, one of the things that your research pointed out was, um, as, as you touched on, was the prevalence of phishing and how successful it is. Uh, one of the things that caught my eye was how quickly people who are phishing are successful. Yeah, that's one of those interesting things, um, especially when you have maybe a well-crafted phishing email that's not just like a spear phishing template. I don't think it's a matter of someone uh, being really negligent in a way, but more so just trying to get their work done. Um, they see, hey, maybe this is an email from my boss or a superior or something that I need to get done. So let me try to access that email and do it as quickly as possible. So I think it's one of those things where, of course, you have to increase user education in terms of phishing and trying to be able to identify some of the signals of, okay, maybe this is not the website I'm supposed to be on. But that can be a little bit more difficult depending on the environment or the particular um, device that you're using. Of course, like when you're on a desktop, you can hover over a link and say, okay, that is not the internal page that I'm expecting from this link versus when you're on mobile, it's a little bit more difficult. We see with all of these password leaks, while passwords are certainly important as a first factor, if you've ever reused a password, there's an increasingly good chance that it's out there somewhere. And so having this second factor at least stops an attacker and depending on the system, hopefully alerts your administrator that somebody was trying to get into your account and that they already have your password. 
Now, was there anything uh, based on your report, uh, the research that you did, was there anything that was particularly surprising? Were there any unexpected results that came back? I guess one of the things that we were kind of surprised at um, was kind of like the big kind of jumps that we saw in terms of remote access. We expected increases, obviously. In our report, we see that like very small business had the smallest increase, but they were already the most mobile of uh, in terms of market segments, um, which kind of makes sense in terms of when you look at these are very small businesses, so you maybe expect a remote team that's distributed, so they may be accessing from their home or a coffee shop and things like that. But it seems like the really big gains in enterprise shows that people are moving to the cloud. There are a lot of people that are working where they want to, or they're moving applications, excuse me, for the cloud. Even though it was something that we thought, we didn't know that they, those increases would be as big as they were. Another surprising result was actually seeing this increase in Windows 10 which is really encouraging. It almost doubled uh, over the past year. This is in particular encouraging because Windows 10 has a lot of security improvements just simply as a baseline, as well as then you're setting yourself up for that many more years of updates before it's, it's obsoleted. And so seeing that, that more businesses are using Windows 10 than other versions of Windows is definitely a positive result that we saw. That was Kyle Lady. We also heard from Alabade Aniche. They're both from Duo. You can check out their authentication report on the Duo website. VPN Filter is not only attempting to reconstitute its botnet of routers, but it's now been found to infect more models than it had formerly captured. Cisco's Talos unit has found infestations in Asus, D-Link, Huawei, Ubiquiti, Upvel, and ZTE devices. Seeking to return to American good graces, ZTE pays a $1 billion fine and replaces its leadership. So China's number two device maker seems to have gotten a reprieve, but suspicion continues to surround it. Several retailers have pulled cloud pets from their physical and virtual shelves, The plush toys share audio messages in a cloud, which is fine, but those messages transit an unsecured MongoDB server, a known issue, as the kids in IT say, for some time. This reminds us somehow of the earlier problem with Furbies, bestsellers in the 1998 Christmas season. By the middle of January 1999, the Scrooges and Grinches, who then ran Fort Meade, made everyone in NSA leave their Furby friends under the trees. Furbies, it seems, tended to repeat the things they heard. As the Washington correspondent of The Independent put it at the time, having endearingly asked for a cookie, the Furby might then suggest bugging the Russian embassy and intercepting wireless traffic from the Iraqi military. No mistletoe for you, Mr. and Mrs. Cratchit, not if you want to keep that clearance. No, wait, that's right, the Cratchits work on the other side of the pond, not in Laurel. Sometimes you can't tell your five eyes without a scorecard. Anyway, this time it's Amazon and Walmart and the likes playing the killjoy, but they're probably right to do so. Little kids should leave their unsecured interactions with strangers on their smartphones, just the way Silicon Valley intended. Speaking of Silicon Valley, the U.S. Senate wants answers from both Facebook and Google about data sharing with Huawei and other Chinese manufacturers. Salons on both sides of the Atlantic just won't let it go, Over in Westminster, Parliament is still chewing on the former head of Cambridge Analytica. What's a little bit of data sharing among colleagues anyway? Besides, people probably must have consented to it somewhere. We're pretty sure there was something in the EULA in terms of service about it. 
And besides, as everyone knows, the large print giveth and the small print taketh away. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use. With zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications, so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. And I'm pleased to be joined once again by Daniel Prince. He's a senior lecturer in cybersecurity at Lancaster University. Daniel, welcome back. Um, you wanted to take us through some uh, some information about industrial control systems today. What do you have to share? So at Lancaster, we do uh, quite a lot of work on what we call cyber physical systems. That includes industrial control systems, the Internet of Things, anything that's really a smart piece of technology that can affect or sense, sense the environment in which it operates. Um, industrial control systems are of particular concern because they control some of the most important parts of our, our lives from water treatment, power generation, power distribution. Uh, and so there's, uh, they form naturally a part of the critical national infrastructure. And there's considerable concern about how open and vulnerable they are. But we've been doing some work here looking at um, industrial control systems and how complex they actually are and how you would actually formulate a, a way to get into them at a sophisticated level. So one of the, the, the key things is that in, in some levels, uh, industrial control systems are quite easy to stop working, so to shut them down. And it, in, in and of itself, that is a particular problem. But to be able to produce the more sophisticated effects, the type of effects that we might see within standard computing systems, the subtle manipulations, the theft of data, that type of thing, is actually quite complicated. And the reason for that is, within the industrial control system, there's a device typically called uh, a PLC that controls the process. And all that does is run a specific program. Now, that program doesn't have any other additional details on it about what it does. So if you took that program, all you're doing is you're getting a binary. 
effectively of how the, the device works. And there is uh, no other information about what that device is connected to, the sensors and the actuators. So being able to reverse engineer from that is incredibly difficult. So when attackers are trying to look at uh, more complex and sophisticated attacks, they're having to go for other devices within the whole control system itself. So looking at things like historians that record data, looking at the devices which provide the graphical representation of uh, the control system. And from that, they can. you have to then start piecing together how the whole plant infrastructure works. So that's unlike a standard computing system, computer network, in which a compromise of, say, a server or something like that can lead to uh, quite sophisticated understanding of the rest of the infrastructure. With a sophisticated attack against industrial control systems, you have to start doing a much broader attack against the multiple systems. And that makes it much harder for the attacker. But as defenders, we must be aware that actually to be able to do that sophisticated attack, we need to defend um, across a much larger part of our uh, operational environment. Now, it's true as well, isn't it, that um, that uh, part of uh, the complexity of these systems is that very often these are one-off systems. It's not like every power plant or every water uh, treatment uh, plant uh, across a nation are identical to each other. These are custom built. Yeah, that, that is that is true. So even the same supplier to, say, a large electrical distributor will have a series of engineers which may implement these control systems completely differently because of the, their background, because of their programming uh, environment, uh, because of the specific or specific environment that uh, that part of the say the electricity grid is operating in, and so. You, even if you compromise one particular environment, a small section, you can learn some lessons but about the overall structure, but it's very difficult to then extrapolate to other parts of the, the operational environment. And so the data gathering part, if you're going through sort of the kill chain approach, the thinking about how an attacker gets into uh, uh, the operational environment, the information gathering phase is much larger, much, has to be much larger and much more comprehensive for the really sophisticated, subtle attacks against control systems. All right. Well, as always, uh, it's interesting stuff. Daniel Prince, thanks for joining us. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for Cyberwire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The Cyberwire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. 
Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow.